Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. When you think about golf movies historically, they're not many. They're not easy. You know, you go back to the story of Ben Hogan, Follow the Sun, and that was a good movie. And there have been a couple others, but there's a new movie about golf, and it's actually a true story, Phantom of the Open. And you're going, what could that possibly be about? Well, it was actually about a guy who tried to qualify for the British Open in 1976. And then he carried on this farcical existence for basically the next 10 years trying to to outfox the royal and ancient to try to play in these qualifiers. And you're going, gosh, I love golf and I don't know anything about it. Well, the guy who wrote this based on the book about the gentleman who actually is a true person is joining me next on the Five Clubs Conversation. We bring on Simon Farnaby, the actor and screenwriter and the central figure in the creation of the movie Phantom of the Open. Simon, how are you, my friend? I'm very good. I'm very glad to be um, to be talking to you. I'm always happy to talk about the film and the story. It's very close to my heart, so looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I am too. I've, I've watched the movie twice now. I watched it. Uh, you were kind enough, uh, your folks were kind enough to send it to me a couple weeks ago. Then I watched it again over the weekend. And as a golf geek, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking for all the little idiosyncrasies and all the little things in there. Um, and I saw some more, which I was amused by, which is part of what this film is. This film is supposed to, and it does, have a great deal of levity to it. Um, but you could also look at it as kind of a tragic comedy uh, as, as well. When you set out to turn this book into a screenplay, what was the most important thing that you wanted to achieve? Um, very good question. I mean, I suppose to do justice to Morris, the character, you know, um, I hadn't done a, I've done a few screenplays and, you know, I, I wrote the Paddington movies uh, and, um, a couple of comedies, one called Mind Hornet, but they were all fictions. Um, so this is the first true story. And I'm from a golfing background. You know, I'm, my my dad was a greenkeeper. I'm from a golfing family. So this is this is sort of an unusual story, um, but a, a true story. So Morris being a real person and having surviving relatives, I wanted to do justice to him, um, uh, mainly... And if that made people laugh along the way, then great, because it's a funny story. You can't write this. You can't make a film about Morris Flitcroft without it being humorous, because what he did was, frankly, um, ludicrous to most people, <laughs> but not to him. No, I mean, I, ludicrous is, is as good a word as any, uh, considering he had no background in the game of golf, and he sets out to do something which... You know, there are high-achieving golfers who spend their lives uh, trying to play their way into an Open Championship. Um, and he, he, he set out to do it. And, and I, we're going to get to the details, but I'm glad that you, you brought out off the top your own affinity for the game of golf. 
because I don't know, I didn't know that part of it. And I would think it'd be damn near impossible to do a golf movie if you didn't have your own golf story, meaning that you, you had, that, that golf has been a part of your life. Have you always loved golf? Have you had a love-hate relationship with the game? What, what, what is your relationship with golf? Um, mostly love, some hate, <laughs> <laughs> like most people. Um, now, my dad was a greenkeeper at quite a famous club called Ganton in, in the north. Yes. Um, but even being a greenkeeper at quite a prestigious club like that, you're, you're sort of, um, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, you know, the green staff, you know, are there to do their job and they're not really part of the, the society of the club. They're, they're, the under, they're the underclass, you know. Um, and so my dad played golf, was pretty good at golf. And I was, um, he got me into the game quite late-ish, actually, like 12, 13. But I got good really quick. Like I was off, I think I was off four. I actually won Britain's Most Improved Player, 1980. I've got the trophy. Somewhere. Of course you do. 1986 <laughs> or something. I got down to four pretty quick, but I was still the greenkeeper's son, you know, and I was, I still felt I never really belonged. And I would still get told to tuck my shirt in and that I was wearing the wrong shoes or that, or that my hat was on the wrong way or like I had to my hat off. So I sort of had this, I loved the game, but I didn't understand the sort of hierarchy and the why, why, I was sort of not really welcome at the club and why I had to feel nervous every time I teed up, even though I was one of the best players in the club. Um, and that really was a feeling shared with, I now realise with, you know, like like the ladies at the club as well, you know, the juniors and the ladies had like about 10 minutes to tee off, it, uh, you know, if you were lucky, sort of four days a week. And there were some days you weren't allowed to play at all. So, so... Going on to Morris, like when I when I heard about Morris when I was a junior, and amongst the juniors, he was a folk hero because all the members hated him. Or like you'd hear the club members go, "That bloody idiot, tried again to get in the open," and we liked him just because they hated him. We didn't know that much about him because uh, <laughs> he was one of us. Like if they if if they hated him, then he was he was one of us, you know. Um, so, and then. And then just to finish my own, so I, I, my dad wanted me to be a pro and and playing off four, I could have turned pro in the UK, you turn pro off five or less, but but you really need to be off scratch. And, and even though I was playing with England juniors and and I was doing really well, um, I think there's only Ian Poulter that's made it onto the tour of a handicap of four. Like usually they're, you gotta be scratch or plus one or plus two, you know. Um, so I, with, with great regret, I sort of said to my dad one day, you know, I'm done. And he was really sad about it. But, um, but then I went into sort of, I really always wanted to do acting, like acting was my fallback from golf. <laughs> Very strange one. But um, uh, I got into that. I certainly got more girlfriends acting and writing and being in comedy than I did in golf. <laughs> let me tell you that. Uh, so it was sort of a new lease of life for me. I was like, oh, this is a different sort of, um, I'm, in, I'm in a different society here uh, without my Pringle jumper and what have you. So, but, but actually when I, when I got to make this film, it's really nice that my dad came to the premiere and 
you know, he could see that I sort of partly done it for him because I didn't make it as a pro, but I did make it as a pro writer. And I made this film partly, you know, I suppose partly to, for him to say, look, it wasn't all a waste of time. And we still play together anyway, me and my dad a lot. So, um, so that's my history of golf. And I still play now. I play off about seven. So I'm still, I'd still keep it going. I love the game. Um, yeah. Well, so that's you know, my it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. You mentioned Ian Poulter because he is, you know, he's told the story about how, you know, he kind of fraudulently, uh, you know, embellished his own index, his own handicap to make himself eligible to be a professional uh, and that he was in, 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 to, to a much grander degree, what, what, what Morris did and Morris Flitcroft, people, you know, they're golf historians who are going, the name kind of rings a bell, but he, he's one of the great footnotes uh, as it relates to major championship golf because of his foray into trying to qualify for the 1976, what was then referred to as the British Open. And, and the way that it's been rebranded, We've had about five names of the British Open in the last 25 years. It's the Open Championship, now it's just the Open. But, but in 1976, he, he decides he wants to do this. He has no background in the game of golf. And, and you know, for one of my fundamental questions is, why the hell would he want to do this? Well, it's interesting. I mean, lots of people ask this, and we try and answer it in in the film although a lot of it is left to the to the audience because it really yes. was fundamentally it's it is still a mystery and maybe it was a mystery to morris but he did try the thing we say in the film is that he, he he's born into a very poor working class town barrow where, where the only job is the shipyard and when when i went to visit barrow everyone we met said the same thing especially in the 70s they they call the, them shipyard fodder you know, you go in, uh, you go in on your feet and come out in a bo in a box, and that's in the movie. And it and it's um, that was right. Like you had, there was no options there. That was that was what you did. You worked in the shipyard if you were male. Um, and he just didn't want to do it. He he um, he tried to do lots of other things actually. Um, quite randomly, you know, he he tried to be a painter for a bit. This was in his twenties when he was young, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he and he was a. Uh, we couldn't put this in the film because there was no room, but he wanted to be a high diving. Like he, he tried everything to not be in the shipyard. So one time he saw in the job center, there was an advert. They, they needed a skilled diver, a high diving, a guy to go around in the old days. They used to go around doing a at Lido's at um, uh, near sort of, uh, sort of tourist resorts in the UK. And there'd be diving, there'd, there'd be displays of diving into the, into these, pools you know and he said oh i can do that i'm 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 an expert you know because it meant you could travel the country and with this and he thought this is great this will get me out of the shipyard and when he couldn't dive you know he went up and did his audition and he just fell off the diving board and the guy said well you're hoping <laughs> and he said well i am but it was quite funny wasn't it and he said yeah and he went well why why don't i be like a clown and i'll come and fall off the board and make everyone laugh and that's what he did for about a year um and so he did try like he was always trying stuff so but he, he sort of gave in when he had his family he went okay i'm going to work at the yard i'll support the family and and then and then for about 25 years 
And then he got this color TV, saw golf, and this thing that's inside him of wanting to do something unique and and um, memorable or, or, you know, have his stamp in the world, it, it reignited again. And he went, I'm going to try this. And of course, golf's a game, as you know, you can play it on your own. So he's on the beach with these clubs he's just got, and he's going, hey, you know, hitting shots, which, you know, he had nothing to compare it to because he'd never seen anyone hit a golf shot. He'd never been to a club. And he thought, hey, this looks like what happens on the TV, you know. It's not far off. So uh, I'm thinking I'm ready for the Open. And so to answer your question, a long-winded way, but he just wanted to do something special and and and, and at age 46 hit upon golf and, and went, this is it. Yeah, and in the in the film, you know, it's explained that that like a lot of businesses, there was there was going to be potentially some restructuring and and it, to some degree he was feeling his own mortality and whatever like what was going to be next um and and there was a scene where he's with a couple of his buddies and he's asking them you know what what would you what would you do or what are you going to do and he's and and there was something romantic about the way that he saw things and and um but but it doesn't necessarily translate when you have to get out and and for him do it publicly which can be embarrassing and downright humiliating. Um, but, but he doesn't present himself in the film that it defeats him. However, there was one scene when he gets home from the qualifier with his sons and they walk in and there's a surprise party for him. But he's sitting in the car for a moment by himself. And it was almost like what he had done, like kind of washed over him. Was that kind of the point of that scene? That there, it wasn't just total frivolity, that he was impacted by, by the day before he went in to, to the joyfulness of this party that he was unprepared for. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very well spotted. You should pinpoint that, that scene because that is the, the key. It's really the moment you see inside his soul in a way. And, um, and, and that scene actually was was written quite a few ways. Um, I think at one point I had him sort of break down crying and, and then he sort of starts laughing. <laughs> and Mark, I, I actually, um, it was a scene that I wanted to talk with Mark about and Mark's a very intelligent, brilliant actor and, and um, he wanted to know exactly what was going on in that scene. And I said, look, I just want people to see in a little window into his soul and see what he's thinking. And Mark, Mark goes, I, what was he thinking? <laughs> well, uh, well um, I don't know. You know, you've you've read the book and you've done the research, and and um, and Mark sort of said, I think I think he he was hurt by how bad he was, and he was like all the evidence points to that. And you talk to his friends, and he says he was. You know, he really genuinely thought he would do really well, and so he was gutted. He was he was he he had a very brave way about him on the course and when he came in and the officials saying you know you've been appalling and he was quite defensive and you know uh, um, I think that's the way he was with authority figures but when he was on his own like you say he he was sad about it but also he was like hey you know I tried so he wasn't like devastated and that's what Mark does brilliantly in that scene he sort of hangs his head and you can see how sad he is that he did so so terribly <laughs> but then he comes up with a smile and he's like hey well whatever i gave it a go uh, and i think that's that's as close to um 
as close as we can get into Morris's psyche. You know, when I was doing research for the for the uh, for the book, um, we we found Morris's unpublished autobiography, five hundred pages, handwritten. Wow. Never published, of course, uh, which was a gold mine into just this sort of thing. And and in that he says, you know, I I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. You know, it was it was disappointing. He says these words a lot. He says, but um, I tried, I gave my best shot, and, and I truly believe that I could get better. Of course, what happened is the RNA banned him from even joining a club. So he took that disappointment you know, that we've all had of going, oh, I thought I was good at this game, but turns out I'm not. And he goes, but, but, and like we all do go, well, let's give it a go again. Let's have another try. And uh, because he hit that good shot on the last, I mean, this is a thing you'll know, and all golfers will know, the game will get you, even if you had the worst round possible and something will happen towards the end of the round when you've been through the the dip, the doldrums, and you've, and right, just when you've given up and gone, you know what, I'm going to go home and tell my wife I'm, I'm not going to play again and uh, or whatever. And then Morris hit a good shot on the last. He, he, he hit it to, that's true what happens in the film. He, he, he actually hits it closer than we show in the film. He hits about four feet. Um, really great shot. And the crowd applaud and Morris is thinking, hey, I, you know, and then he, then he I think he five potted, but. Uh, yes, he did. But, um, in the film, he but, did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He did in real, in real life. Yeah. But he went, oh, well, I'll work on my potting. But the RNA banned him. He couldn't join a club. And so so his only avenue then was, well, I'll practice again and I'll try for the Open again because that's the only place I seem to be able to play. And, and you know, he, he plays under a couple of aliases. And again, for people who are listening or watching, they're going, God, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about this figure. Well, it's. You know, believe me, as somebody who, who has taken a keen interest in the game for my lifetime, uh, it's a name that I knew, but I didn't know the details. And, and you know, the, the RNA figures, Keith McKenzie, who, who was the chief of the RNA, that's a real person. And if you look him up, I mean, there are a lot of photographs of him with Michael Benalek and, and all, you know, significant figures in, in, in the RNA. And I will tell you, look, that there's, there's a comedic component to this film these these guys look like stooges at times i mean they just which is hilarious and this guy was driving him crazy not only in that one particular day but in the years that followed did you did you consult at all with the rna and if you did how cooperative were you or were they yeah good question uh, um we did actually we reached out to a guy you mentioned there um michael bonalek yeah who was the secretary still the secretary of the rna when i or maybe he just passed it on but when we were writing the book in uh, 2000 and something seven or eight he was still a big cheese there oh huge yeah, figure yeah she spoke spoke to him and he was great like he was really supportive he he could see the funny side of morris and and we talked at length about Keith McKenzie and his reaction and because you're right Keith McKenzie really Morris was I see them like Herbert Lom and um Inspector Clouseau in the you know the Pink Panther movies like Morris drove Keith insane like Keith wasn't a bad guy he was he was a military man and he was a golf man and he was a stickler for the rules but he was decent and fair and 
very innovative. Got golf on the TV, had a lot of good ideas, but he hated Morris. He just thought the guy just wound him up. And and they all the letters you see from from between him and Morris, there's hundreds of them, you know. And in the movie, we put them in and they're all word for word exchanges that went on. Uh, anyway, um, and, and this thing that he did, Keith, with banning Morris effectively from joining a club, uh, Michael Bonalak said, you know, that was unfair. He said, I think that was his mistake uh, because I think Morris might have gone away if, if mm. he hadn't done that. So, so he did admit he, he was too harsh on him. Um, and uh, so, so the RNA, I have to say, like we, we I was... Um, aware that we might get some kickback from the RNA because um, we do mention them, you know, by name. And, the, and and obviously, as you say, the real person, Keith McKenzie, played by Reese Fans. But we haven't, they've, they've been fine. We haven't had a problem with them. And I think partly because we had that conversation actually with Michael Bonalak gave us license to say that at the end of the film, we actually sort of give Keith McKenzie a little, you know, an ending which suggests yes. that he see the funny side, and I think that was our nod to the RNA to say, "Hey, look, you know, we all make mistakes. You much cooler now, <laughs> and um, uh, and really sort of bring it full circle." Yeah, but we haven't had any lawsuits yet from the RNA. Oh, and and very good. I'm glad that they 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 have a sense of history and a sense of humor about it. Um, there's an interlude that that Morris has on the day of the qualifier. And for people who, who, who know some history about uh, major championship golf and specifically the Open, 76 was a big deal. Uh, not only because of the guy who eventually won, Johnny Miller, but the guy who he went through, who to a lot of people uh, was, they were not familiar with him. It was Severiano Ballesteros. And so Morris has this interlude in the locker room before the qualifier. And look, Hollywood's Hollywood. Did that really happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, not as far as we know. Right. Uh, and probably, prob most likely not. But it's a good, I've been asked about this a few times and I'm, I'm very happy to uh, uh, justify it because, yeah, it is a slightly, um, uh, it's a tongue-in-cheek kind of scene. It, it's really because, partly because of my love of Seve. Seve was my... Um, favorite player growing up and, and like lots of people, you know, swashbuckling, yep. um, you know, he was an artist uh, um, and that was his first open. And I didn't want to have a film that revolved around the 1976 open and not mention Seve because I think that would be heresy, you know, just to go, Hey, there was one guy there and it was Morris Flickcroft. Seve was a huge part of it. And so I, I just thought, um, and I'm glad I did thought, <laughs> what if Morris, met Seve in the locker room uh, and there was this connection as well because Seve age 17 he was then he was straight from the beach at um, uh, Soto Grande or, or uh, I might have got the name wrong but um, and he practiced on the beach with a club with a stick in it with an old three iron very similar to Morris difference being he's supernaturally talented and Morris probably wasn't. Well, difference being Seve's brothers were golf pros and, yes. and gave him a few tips. And um, Morris's brothers worked in the shipyard. So <laughs> there's there's your difference. I mean, it really was that. It, it's a film a lot about sort of 
a birth lottery, if you like, you know, where you're born and what that means for your expectations. And Morris sort of ignored all those things. You know, Seve, in a way, is a product of, he was born into brothers who played golf and his dad played golf and born next to a golf course, although he was very poor, you know. Um, and I thought his two figures who are really sort of brothers in a way, like they're, they're sort of very similar. And, and I thought the, the bit where they tap their shoes and they both have sand coming out of yes. the shoes would be a really nice thing to go. His two guys who practice on the beach, who, who maybe feel they don't belong as well. That feeling again, I was talking about before, like the idea was actually in the scene is that Morris comes in and he says hello to everyone and they ignore him because they don't know him or they're, they're pros and they're nervous and they're thinking about themselves and their day. And, and, and the only one that talks to him is Seve. Um, and I just thought it would be a really nice scene. And, and, and who knows, Gary, maybe it happened. Maybe, I, you know, it's, I, 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 when I, when I watched the movie and I'm thinking maybe, maybe. And I, I thought again, is, is knowing when you look back historically on, on 76, as much as it's about the guy who won Johnny Miller, it's almost as much about Seve because nobody knew what it was going to be, but he was right out of central casting, so to speak. Um, and I'm glad it was in it. And it's funny, I, I, I interviewed a guy who was in Remember the Titans, and I started asking him about various scenes. And, he, and every time, every scene I asked him, he said, well, that didn't really happen. Ah, that didn't really happen. <laughs> Can yeah. I get it? I get it. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, it didn't it didn't make me like the movie less. Um, I, I want to ask you about the language of writing about golf, because I've seen people who are very good at what they do in broadcasting, make an entrance into golf and get crippled by the language of the golf. You know how golfers are. We're really particular. We're nerds. We're nerds about the way we think about the game, about the way we obsess about it and the way we talk about it. Do you think that it served you well because you had a background in the game to write the game? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a game I know, you know, inside out and, and I can spot a falsehood anywhere, you know, and, and um, I mean, too many examples probably to go into, but I know, you know, pro my producers and even my director who I love, Sometimes it'd be like, how about if he says this or says that? And I go, someone who knows golf would never say that. And or somebody, <laughs> you know, so, so, and I just know, you know, you, like you, you just know when you brought up around golf and you listen to people, you know, um, you're right. It's like a nerdiness and obsessiveness, but it is this, we sort of speak the same language in a way. And so that had to be there. And that's the same in anything, you know, you're doing something about space travel and all the astronauts and all the people who work in the, in the, um, control deck are all going to have a language that they all understand because they've been doing it all their lives, you know? So, um, and interesting along that line, one of my frustrations of the film is I said, I said, the language is going to be right. And, um, and by the way, Morris loved the Morris's etiquette and his language and everything was sort of pretty spot on. Like mm -hmm. even though he was an amateur physically and he didn't know how to play the game, uh, he his etiquette and his um the way he carried himself and the way he spoke about the game were were absolutely bang on um and that was really important to him you know it was like 
like he says on the first tee when he says to his kid, don't swear, you know, no swearing on the golf course. You know, he knows it's not a place for effing and blinding. Although he then just, then he then says, fucking hell when, the, when he sees the guy hit the shot. But that's because he's never seen anyone hit a shot before. Uh, but no, I digress. The point I was going to make was, also what was important to me is that the, the, the courses look like courses because whenever I get really angry when I see golf. Yes. Um, because uh, I go, that's not, you would never play a US Open on that course because it's got furry greens. Like, what the hell are you doing? But I will say this. I now realize why those courses look like that, even in big budget movies like Tim Cup, is because you cannot get the members of a golf club to allow you to film on their course. I mean, we've discussed what men, we all know. <laughs> Would we go, you know, oh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the course is going to be closed. They're coming to film there. Well, no, you're not, because I've got my um, midweek medal or my members just members all have to agree and if you're a members club then they're not going to agree so but we were lucky um so that's why you have furry greens but we were lucky in that it was we shot in a lockdown so we had a our pick of golf courses um not always again even though they were empty the members still said you're not allowed on in case we sort of stand on the greens but but we did get a couple of really good ones and and um, I'm quite happy with the way it sort of turned out in the end. Although a few people have picked up on it, I think one. I think the Formby is not is not British Open qualifying standard, but the other course, um, or the one we use for Formby rather. But there's there's a Lynx course for his second attempt, where he's Gerard Hoppy, where the wind's yes. blowing. Yes. And and that looks like a real proper. It does. Of course, yeah. Yeah, no question about it. You mentioned the the, the other the alias, um, and I'm thinking about the, the the lunacy of the idea that somebody who is, you know, uh, he's on everybody's radar to some degree uh, because of what had transpired, and he had been you know banned from all these clubs, and and the 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 disguises are not that they're I mean they're not that over the top. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, how much do we really know about people? But but the fact is, he did do this. I mean, he, you, you mentioned Jared Hoppy. Uh, I wrote down some other names. Uh, Arnold Palmtree uh, was another one that, that he went by. Uh, James Bo Jolly. I mean, this went on for more than a decade of him trying to do this, right? Yeah, and, and every time um, he got in, his round got less and less. So I believe um, <laughs> we couldn't at one point, actually, I, I had them all in the movie. And, and But it was so kind of boring in a way, because you just go, I know what's going to happen. He's going to get kicked off again. And and while it's quite funny, there's only so many ways you can get a guy kicked off a golf course. But but he um, I think the second time was uh, nine holes, which we do show in the film. And then then it was like six holes. And I think three um because even though he was in disguise like he'd have a mustache and glasses and hats and wigs and clothes but once he starts swinging the club as as we all know it's a pretty unique um i think the way you swing the club is is you know it's got to be better than a fingerprint for someone's individuality <laughs> you know it's like that's that guy um so uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, then they got him, and also they, um, and also we, we, we only hint at this in the film in a bit of audio, but they did, Keith McKenzie, as part of his mania to stop Morris getting in, uh, employed a handwriting expert to sit in the RNA headquarters and go through all the um, envelopes and see if they could spot Morris's handwriting so that they could stop it uh, that way. Uh, so, um, yeah, they, they tried to keep him out and Mackenzie was eagle-eyed and it was his mission in life to find him. Uh, and they did, they did always find him. They did indeed. A, a couple more things before before we finish up here. Um, in the end, do you think that he actually got joy from a sport that can be menacing to the mind? Even for people who are good, it can break you. Um, and he was not. He was anything but. And he put himself on display in the most public of ways. Do you think he actually got joy out of it? Well, it's a great question, and I think I'll, I'll leave the answer to the late great Peter Ellis, because <laughs> Peter Ellis is our um, well. The, uh, he probably I think he's well known in America as well. Oh, but he's oh, the, he's a legend. He's an absolute yeah, legend. Legendary voice of golf. Um, uh, sadly, passed away very recently. But we spoke to him when we um, wrote the book. Uh, a because he was. He's just a great um, voice, you know, knowledge. Yes. But B, he actually played with him. He's one of the few people who's played with Morris. And he, and he for an article in Golf Monthly, Peter Ellis played nine holes with Morris um, at the Old Thorns Country Club in the south of England. And and um, Peter Ellis said this amazing thing, which really made me sort of well up with tears. He went, do you know, I don't think I've ever played with anyone who had such joy for, and love of the game of golf. Mm. And then he said this thing, um, which we now know was about Sergio Garcia, by the way, because <laughs> this at this at this point I talked to Peter Allen, Sergio was was being very petulant on the course, um, which I think he still is. And yeah, you'd have to narrow it down. Um... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which era? Which yes. is, look, I love Sergio. I mean, he's joined that ridiculous tour, but anyway, let's not get onto that. But um, but uh, I feel happy now about name name checking Sergio, um, because I used to sort of not want to mention it because you know, um, I respected him, but now I'm like, no, whatever. But but Peter <laughs> said, the certain the certain players on the PGA tour, uh, he said I should mention no names. Young players who should be talented, young players who should should be full of the joys of golf that are a disgrace to the game. And Maurice Flickcroft, I just want to go to those players, or that player, Sergio, <laughs> and show them Maurice Flickcroft and say, look at this man. He can't even swing the bloody club. But what joy he gets out of the game. What He, he said that every every shot he would go, oh, what's happening here? I've got, to, I've got to get over this tree. I've got to get right. Okay. So it is a challenge. And if he failed, he'd go, well, never mind, you know, better luck next time. Or what's next? You know, uh, his etiquette, he said, was brilliant. Uh, just had a passion and a love and a joy of the game. And he said he had a great, lovely nine holes with him. Um, unforgettable, you know. And he said, of course, he couldn't play the game. 
but that wasn't his fault. Uh, you couldn't you, you couldn't fault the joy, and I wish more people had that. So so, I think there's your answer. Um, uh, I think he he loved the game, got a lot of joy from it. Just um, was on the wrong stage. <laughs> it's very well said. I and it's great to hear. Um, I'll ask you this is the last thing. Well, what do you hope people who aren't necessarily immersed in golf, like, like myself, um, would get out of watching this film? Well, I think really it's, it's, it's actually not a film about golf. As you know, it's not, it's not a study of, you know, the, right. the weird hierarchy. Golf's a backdrop. In a way, it could have been any sport or any, you know, um, like we discussed, it could have been singing or it could have been. So, so, I mean, I, I, it just happens to be, you know, he tried golf and, and I know golf. So I, so I was equipped to write the movie, but really it's about trying being, don't be afraid to try things. You know, nobody, nobody gets to their deathbed and goes, I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd tried to do less. <laughs> you know, I think you go, I wish I'd tried to do more. I wish I'd, taking more chances because we we're all so frightened of failure. And that's why I love Morris is he's a sort of, you know, he failed for all of us. He, he put himself in that position for complete and utter humiliation and, and did it with grace. And you sort of go, well, why not? You know, he, he tried something he couldn't do. Somebody came out of the, this old lady came out of a screening in London and went, I'm going to go and try going to go and learn the piano. Mm, he said, I've always thought I'd be terrible at it and make a lot of racket. And so I've never bothered, but I'm going to go and do it because why not? You know, what's the worst that can happen? You're bad at something. Who cares? You know, well, if, if there's a rash of, of really bad players trying to sneak into USGA and RNA events, uh, we will know where the root cause is because you have you, <laughs> you've stirred, you've stirred yeah. a fire. Uh, no, I, I think it's a good, I, I think that's important that it is golf is the backdrop, but it, it is, it's, it's a lesson on, particularly if you're, if you're facing, you know, this, this crossroads professionally and maybe even personally where it's like, God, I, I might not be able to do what I'm currently doing anymore. What the hell am I going to do if this yeah. is all I've ever known? And by the way, you know, it's, it's a, it's a study of that, um, I like to see films as a sort of a study of something. So if it's like following your dreams, you know, it looks at Morris and it says, you can follow your dreams and fail spectacularly. But also, you know, we show the other side, you can follow your dreams and be a success. Like he said to his sons, you follow your dreams. And they were world disco dancing champions. Yes. You know? they, were, they really were top of their field. It just so happened that was a short lived thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being an airline pilot might have been a more longevity, but uh, but that wasn't their fault. They were brilliant at it. They were the best in the world for a short time. So it does actually work. It, but the thing is, is to try is, is don't fear trying. You know, you might be a fairly might be an astounding success, but you'll never know if you don't try. Well, you, you, the language of, of the movie for people who love golf uh, they will appreciate it. The movie is Phantom of the Open. Uh, this is this is a true figure, historically an interesting footnote, as specifically as it pertains to the Open Championship. 
Simon, I, I wish you the best of luck with the movie that, that uh, is available now and people can, can see it uh, around the world. Uh, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Gary. It's a real pleasure talking to you. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie, and I hope your listeners do too. Well, really appreciate Simon Farnaby. I knew that he had to have a background in golf because um, you, you just can't write the game unless you know the game, and he did it. And again, the movie is Phantom of the Open. This is a true, this is a true story. Now, as he even pointed out, there's some embellishment, but I'm glad Seve had an interlude in the film. So I appreciate him, but most importantly, appreciate all of you guys out there watching and listening to this Five Clubs conversation.